Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Breda Pest Management, the official pest control of UGA Athletics. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. A lot of news came out yesterday. The White House thing, the Dominic Blaylock thing, there was the Denial and Morissette thing. A lot of things yesterday. And we'll get to all of that here coming up in just a moment. But if you don't mind, I want to start on a different subject. A subject that I'd already planned on discussing. And for us, it's an issue that we've addressed before. One of the funniest moments of this offseason was, what, a few weeks ago when uh, Georgia former outside linebacker Nolan Smith, who obviously has been kind of a big topic of the offseason just because of how many cool things he said since ending his Georgia career, but he was doing some interview with somebody, and he talked about making up the notion that people were predicting Georgia to go 7-5 and five, uh, as a way of motivating his teammates. And the genesis of that entire discussion was after the national championship game, when Georgia finished off the go for two and 22 mission, when it beat TCU 65 to seven, there were some Georgia players there on the field talking about, oh, they said we're going to be seven and five or whatever else. And a lot of media types were kind of wondering, well, where did that come from? And Nolan Smith eventually admitted, well, I made all that up. I just sort of said that to, to kind of spur my teammates to play better. And it was kind of a funny laugh and it's kind of thing that sort of seems like something that Nolan Smith might do. However, Entering that into the record, I think, has led to a misperception on the part of some that the whole idea of Georgia having doubters in 2022 was completely made up. That This was always just a work of fiction. If it wasn't Nolan Smith doing it, maybe it was Kirby Smart doing it, or somebody somewhere was making Georgia out to be more of an underdog than it was. After all, this was the reigning national champions. How could they be doubted? How could they have any kind of, uh, you know, I guess obstacles to overcome, you know, how could there be any doubters in the way of Georgia when all they've done is win? But there were those doubters. And that's one of the things you, you've heard me play this clip for you before. Stetson Bennett, uh, shortly after the national championship, reminding folks of, you know, uh, a lot of people now kind of want to rewrite history to make it seem like it was always obvious that Georgia was going to win the second straight national championship. But if anybody, Bennett would be the one to know that he certainly heard plenty of personal criticism that he couldn't lead Georgia to another title, that the one that he had led him to in 2021 may just be a fluke, that Georgia itself may have been lucky to win a national championship in 2021. With all those draft picks departing off that 2021 roster, they'd be lucky to even be back in contention. In fact, I think we heard somebody say, uh, you know, they'd be, you know, it'd be a miracle if they even won the SEC East or things like that. You, you heard all kinds of, you know, you know, kind of crazy stuff. And Stetson Bennett was good enough to remind us of, yeah, in the 2022 season, there were doubters. They did exist. Let me play this for you as a way of setting up our conversation for today. Here is Stetson Bennett from January. This is what we set out to do this year. Uh, you know, there's a lot of lot of lot of people who doubted us. A lot of people who, um, you know, and I know people are gonna be like, "Well, uh, no, we didn't." Well, yeah, you did. Um, you know, maybe not doubted us as as far as you know unranked doubted us, but it wasn't there wasn't a consensus, um, and it seems as if people have forgotten that storyline um, and forgotten what, what what this team has done as a collective. You know, fought through that and heard all the doubters whenever you know we're talking about 15. Uh, draft picks lost to the draft and uh, you know a lot, a lot of those guys over there on defense and even on offense heard that um, you know and so we, we went to work and we took it week by week and now we're here so um, I think I think that's really special amen to that I am so glad Stetson said what he said right there because I think it's a hundred percent true that a lot of folks as Stetson said have kind of forgotten now the doubt that existed along the way now as a member of the media let me give you a little bit of insight on the media. I don't really consider myself a reporter. Nobody should. I'm a show host. But 
while not really a reporter, not a journalist, so to speak, I am a media member. Big difference between like you know, you know, journalist and media. <laughs> in the media, as a media member, let me give you a little insight on the media, especially when it comes to like sports media things like this. The sports media will always recast things after they happen to make them seem more obvious in retrospect than they were in the moment. Do you know why that is? I'll give you a couple of seconds to think about it. The reason why that is is because it makes us seem smarter. When Georgia wins the national championship, the story is retold. Well, of course Georgia was always going to win this national championship this year, but because by recasting the story and retelling it that way, it makes all of us seem smarter as if we're capable of seeing the future. But if you go back to the past and sort of look at what people thought about the soon-to-be future, what you realize is is nobody's quite as smart in the moment as they sort of pretend they were after something happens. In fact, given a chance to make Georgia the preseason number one team prior to last season, media types failed to do it. The coaches, who for the most part take their marching orders from the, the media and stuff like this, they also failed to do that there as well. That everybody sort of acted like last January they saw Georgia coming from a mile away, but actually, they didn't. Instead, some minutes good enough to kind of point this out. Not only did you doubt my team, he says, prior to the start of the season, or at least he could have said this, maybe he was insinuating this, but you also, you know, doubted us prior to the Tennessee game. I mean, think about all that stuff in November of all those folks who were sort of ready to see Georgia kind of knocked off its perch at the top of college football. Uh, they were talking about it left and right. We had a big time that week of kind of pointing all that out. And then Georgia went out there and obviously silenced all those critics and hushed up all those doubters right there in that moment. But then in addition to that, you know, you had Takeo Spikes predicting Georgia to lose to South Carolina last year. You had uh, Chris Doring predicting Georgia to lose to Kentucky. You can sort of cite examples of people who even thought that Georgia might lose to Oregon, as crazy as all that sounds. That you can actually look week to week last year and see a good number of doubters along the way for Georgia. And Stetson Bennett did not want to let the media types off the hook last January. And I think he's right to do so. Now, my reason for saying all of that is to say this. You might think, fast forward now to where we are, uh, May of 2023, Georgia's now won two straight national championships. It, the go for two and 22 mission was completed there last year. They're going for a third straight national championship this year. They haven't lost a game in what seems like ages. You might think that all doubters have been completely silenced and no one is willing to risk their own personal ruin to the reputation uh, to step out here, say something about about Georgia because of the obvious likelihood that Georgia is going to make them feel foolish for having said that near the end of uh, the season. But while you might think that's true, the honest truth is, is there's still people out there who were looking for something other than Georgia to sell during this offseason. Latest example of this. Urban Meyer, a figure and a name that most Georgia fans don't like anyway. Well, Meyer was recently on some show somewhere. Who knows where all this kind of stuff sort of comes from from time to time. But somebody shared this with me on Twitter. I'll show it to you here. I think you can count this as more bulletin board material for the Georgia Bulldogs. Our buddy Frankie Fibonacci shared it with me on Twitter, but I'd seen several of you kind of passing this around a little bit anywhere there as well. So Frankie writes to me on Twitter, pretty sure this is going to make its way to the bulletin board. Hashtag go dogs. And I think Frankie's right about this. At least I think it should. Whether it makes it for the bulletin board for the team, who knows? Should it make the our own personal bulletin board material? Should we kind of keep a record of kind of the dumb stuff people say during the offseason? Yeah, I think we probably should. Maybe add Urban Meyer to that list who has some nice things to say about Texas. He says, man for man, roster against roster, it's hard to say Texas doesn't have the best roster in college football. <laughs> yeah, I would say back to Urban Meyer on this, maybe it should be a little harder to say it. <laughs> he says, it's hard not to say it. Maybe it should be a little harder to say it. Because if you look, 
what was he said? Man for man, roster for roster. I got a team over here in Athens that's 129 of its last 30 games is a prohibited point spread favor in every game for which there are currently odds listed for. Its season win over under total right now for the regular season is 11 and a half. I seriously doubt there's some sort of roster deficiency on Georgia where Texas is shining right now. I seriously doubt that. Now, do I think that Texas could be a little bit of a surprise team here this year? Yeah. When I look at Quinn Ewers, I was actually looking at his Heisman odds a little bit last night at 20 to 1 right now. I think that's probably worth a look. Do I think that Texas could beat Alabama in week two? Yes, I do. And do I think it could be very, very fun here around SEC country if that happens? Uh, I do indeed. So I'm not necessarily anti Texas, even though we all kind of roll our eyes the whole notion of Texas is back talk, which seems to happen, you know, this time each and every year. I'm not necessarily anti Texas for the upcoming season. I'm actually kind of someone interested in Texas but the notion that they have the best roster in college football man for man you know pound for pound whatever it is Urban Meyer said that is just provably false and it is laughable on its face and Urban Meyer ought to know better uh and the fact that he says it anyway I think is part of the problem that Georgia fans have here where I'm going to do a pro wrestling thing for a moment not everybody likes pro wrestling but some of you do you know Roman Reigns in the WWE the current champion he's been champion now for, for years he's a little bit like George in that respect even though I guess he played football at Georgia Tech uh Reigns has had the belt for a long time so has Georgia and one of Roman Reigns catchphrases is acknowledge me in other words hey I want everybody to recognize that I am the best here right now and he says that he gets the microphone holds the belt up uh he says acknowledge me and I think that's where Georgia fans kind of come around on stuff like this. It's fine to talk about Texas if you want to, but acknowledge me first. Like, like start every conversation by saying, I know Georgia's the best team in college football, but I'm somewhat interested in Texas. Listen, nobody can say anything about the Georgia roster, but if you've seen this Texas roster, it's not too bad. There's nothing wrong with talking about another team, but you better acknowledge me first. You better acknowledge the team that's won the last two national championships. And it seems like sometimes there's an attempt – to, to kind of talk up other teams just to have something interesting to talk about Georgia obviously runs the risk of making the sport boring if it keeps winning the way that it is and so media types now that's all Meyer is you know kind of a disgraced former coach for now you know sort of forced to go into the media so he operates like other media types just sort of begging for someone to step up make the sport interesting and so he's talking about Texas here right now failing I believe to acknowledge Georgia but here's the thing and then we'll move on to something else He's not the only one this offseason to already do that. And it seems crazy to think that, right? Georgia's won two straight national championships. Georgia's the favorite uh, to win the national championship beginning here this year. But you got these prominent media voices who are just looking for somebody other than Georgia to kind of talk up here during this offseason. And I think if you're a Georgia fan, uh, the failure to acknowledge what your team has accomplished over the course of the last couple of years, yeah, I think you've got a right to be a little bit ornery about that. Uh, last year's championship pursuit for Georgia came with a little bit of an edge to it. I think Georgia fans are kind of uh, looking forward to maybe getting a chance to do that again and maybe some of these media types this year giving you a chance to do that because, as I said before, not just Urban Meyer. We played this for you, uh, I think, when I was uh, on the uh, Dog Nation cruise a few days ago. Even a guy like Reese Davis. Listen, I don't like Urban Meyer at all, but Reese Davis I do kind of like. Reese Davis I think is a college football fan, kind of an SEC-type dude, uh, host of ESPN's College Game Day. I have literally zero beef with Reese Davis, but he was doing one of his podcast deals the other day and, once again, just sort of looking for somebody other than Georgia to talk up. He talks up the Michigan Wolverines as a preseason number one. It sounds almost unbelievable on its face, but here is some audio proof that Reese Davis said just that. Michigan has a proven quarterback that I think is going to improve greatly this year. 
They've got the best cornerback in America in Will Johnson. They've got some transfers on both lines of scrimmage, including a pass rusher that should shore up some of the things that they've lost. They've done a really good job in the transfer portal the last couple of years, particularly on the lines of scrimmage. They've got their running backs coming back, a couple of uh, wide receivers that might even be bigger threats, uh, transfer tight end from Indiana, I believe. They, I think if I had to fill out the ballot right now based on what I know, you know, what I, the type of production I know I'm going to get, I think I'd put Michigan number one. I like Reese Davis. I, I really do. And, I, and I, I, I hesitate to even want to say anything negative about him because I think that he's part of the solution in college football media, not part of the problem. There are plenty of other people who are far more problematic than Reese Davis is. But just to kind of put this entire conversation to bed here just for a moment, we saw Georgia and Michigan play two seasons ago. And Georgia made Michigan darn near want to quit the sport. In fact, Jim Harbaugh almost tucked tail and ran to the NFL shortly after that because I think he realized that we just play too rough down here. That, that the idea of trying to win a national championship in college football, uh, you know, as long as you get a team like Georgia out of the SEC standing your way, you're probably not going to be able to do it. That's what the Orange Bowl for Georgia and Michigan proved during the 2021 season. Now, we did not get the chance to see these two teams play in the 2022 season because the team that eliminated Michigan from the college football playoff, Georgia turned around and beat 65-7. to to me, those are disqualifying points. You don't get to talk about Michigan in comparison to Georgia until you deal with the fact that Georgia absolutely obliterated Michigan head-to-head two seasons ago and maybe obliterated in the most embarrassing fashion imaginable impossible the team that eliminated Michigan from the playoff this past season. You have to address that before you talk about anything related to Michigan and being the number one dadgum team in the country. Once again, to go back to the Roman Reigns line, acknowledge me. You can talk about Michigan if you want to, and you can talk about them trying to beat Ohio State for three years in a row and being back to the college football playoff. And honestly, you can give credit to Jim Harbaugh for actually turning out to be a pretty good coach for the Wolverines. You can do that if you want, but acknowledge me first. (laughs) Put Georgia in its category by itself and then say, now, just after Georgia, I think Michigan's kind of an interesting team. Or maybe Texas, as Urban Meyer said, someone talented. But acknowledge me first. And if you're a Georgia fan and you're a little ornery about that right now, I think you have a right to be. But here's good news. Last year, I think Georgia fans had some fun with kind of silencing some critics and hushing up some doubters. Instead, some minute didn't let them off the hook in January when the season's all said and done. And as crazy as it might think to think all those uh, folks might still exist here for the 2023 season, there's at least some evidence suggests they do. So when it's all said and done, we're going to keep these receipts. We're going to hold on to them. And when the season's done this upcoming season, we're going to remind these folks of what they said. My name's Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans, presented today by Breda Pest Management. We are happy to have you with us, no matter how you get to us, live on video, 945, first and 15, dognation.com, Dog Nation app, 10 a.m. after that. Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, on the radio at noon, on Athens Sports Radio 960, The Ref, and we are available as a podcast wherever you find them. Apple, Spotify, some of you listen directly on SoundCloud, some of you wait for us to post the show there at dognation.com. Just lots of ways you get in touch with our program, and however you choose to, we are just really glad to have you as a part of it. And man, we're so thankful for our friends at Breda Pest Management there as well, the official pest control provider of UGA Athletics. Think about how cool that is. Think that all those great athletic venues there around the campus at Georgia, they're all protected by our friends at Breda Pest Management, from termites, from bugs, from critters. And doesn't it kind of seem like this time of year, there's just sort of more of that than there, I guess, maybe is other times of year. I don't really know why. I'm not a scientist necessarily. But but you just sort of feel like you see a lot of bugs and things like that. 
And braided pest management helps keep all that stuff on the outside of the house where it's supposed to be, in the woods or wherever else. Uh, braided pest management can protect your home the same way it protects Georgia's home and all those great UG athletic facilities. And the good news is, a company that's strong enough, resourced enough to be recognized by UGA as its official pest control provider can also help you by leveraging all those resources for your benefits. Specifically this, when you make the switch to Breda Pest Management for your termite protection, for instance, you're going to put more money back in your pocket instantly just for making that choice. This is a company that's been in business since 1975, got 125 different employees, uh, have been taking great care of folks for a long time. And the best way they may be able to take care of you is to put more money back in your pocket by giving you better service for less money than you're spending with whatever fly-by-night company you might be working with right now. So please find them online. It's BredaPest.com. That's B-R-E-D-A. That's how you spell it. B-R-E-D-A, BredaPest.com. Make the switch to BredaPest Management today and put more money in your pocket right away. Boom. Just for making that decision. All right, coming up in a couple of minutes, we have our latest Kroger Perfect Moms winner we want to celebrate here as we head towards Mother's Day on Sunday. Excited about that. Mike Griffith is going to stop by here in just a minute there as well. Prior to that, I want to go around the doghouse. And as I mentioned a moment ago, yesterday kind of weirdly out of nowhere turned out to be a little bit of a newsy day. A lot of it's kind of somewhat weird news, I guess, in some respects. Um, I want to kind of run through all three of these topics here real quick, and then we'll bring on Mike Griffith. I'm going to find out what he has to say about some of this and additional stuff from him there as well. Let me start with what's probably the buzziest here, and I'm sure you'll see some you know national media type uh, attention paid to this. The fact that Georgia, as the story goes, has declined an invitation to the White House. Now, y'all know this. You know two things. You know everybody in the world is going to try to make this be about politics. And you know in a show like this, we are just not taking that bait. We are just not going to do that. We are not going to veer off target from what we normally do here in fact you know you'd like to not even mention this at all but it's a big enough story involving georgia football that you sort of feel like you have to and you know i i think what it kind of comes down to for me here on this is is that i went back and looked it looks like when the last teams to visit the white house after a national championship looks like lsu the 2019 national champion went january of 2020 like just right after the game was done and Clemson the year prior to that also went like January of 2019, just right after the game was done. And if you had any chance of getting Georgia to the White House, you know, after this year's national championship, you're going to have to get them there quickly. You're going to have to get them there, you know, like previous national champions had kind of done in recent years of sort of right after it's all said and done. It's almost like for a lot of you are like youth league baseball or softball coaches, things like that. So like if you want to have an end of the year party, you better have it like right when the season ends because if you wait a month and try to do it then, you'll never get all those families back together again. You know, college football kind of functions the same way, as silly as it might sound, that when you sort of stretch into like February, March, you got two things going on. You got the former Georgia players who helped actually win this championship for Georgia. They've moved on to their pre draft process, they're spread out all over the country, logistically getting them all back together for the same thing. Uh, it's kind of hard. And for the Georgia team, they're getting ready to start spring practice there at that point in time. And if you really wanted Georgia at the White House this year, the invitation needed to be extended sometime in January. But we know, based on some reporting, that the actual discussion of this didn't even start until late February. That's when, I guess, a statement attributed to the president said, we look forward to welcoming Georgia to the White House. But that itself wasn't an invitation. Now, I guess the reporting that's out there says there was some kind of you know, back and forth stuff, maybe off the record about when Georgia might come. 
And finally, the uh, White House extends the invitation in May for something that's supposed to take place in June, basically cramming the football team in with a bunch of athletes from other sports. It's kind of sort of a catch-all event at the end of the academic year. You know, I, I that's just not going to work for Georgia. That's just not how that's going to go. So if, if Georgia was going to go to the White House, they needed to be invited in January, and that didn't happen. So from this particular situation, looks like to me the invitation just came too late for Georgia to be able to go. Now, here's the other part of this, and I think this is one of those things that you just sort of have to acknowledge here a little bit. As I said before, you know, a lot of this sort of seems like it's sort of ripe for like political politicization and polarization of, oh, you know, you know, you don't go to the White House because this guy's president or you don't go to the White House because that person's president or whatever else. The truth is, someone like me, and I've, I think I've said this before, if I got invited to the White House, I don't care who the president is, I'm going because that's the kind of thing that sort of seems cool to me. But let's be honest here for a moment. For a lot of young people, this is sort of corny, right? And uh, I just think that when the season's done, a lot of these guys, what they really want is time off. And as cool as it might seem to me to go to the White House, I don't know that that's cool to players now. I don't care who the president is. I don't care who the player is. I just don't know that's quite as big a deal anymore. So actually, Georgia, what this might do is sort of lead to a future in which maybe teams just don't go to the White House quite as much anymore. Because if you're a college team, you got players moving on, you got you know the, the calendar, which you know forces teams to sort of reboot and start the new year very, very quickly – Maybe it just doesn't set itself up for that very well anymore. But if you want it to happen, you got to invite them in January. you got to get them there within a few days of this taking place. Otherwise, people just sort of stretch out and they start going other places. So I don't think you can blame Georgia for this. I think it's a shame that all of this kind of gets turned into, like everything does these days, some sort of political statement about one thing one way or another. Uh, I don't think that Georgia in any way should have been expected to get an invitation in May to then go to the White House in June when half the teams are you know, going to be rookies, you know, kind of going through some, you know, preparation for the start of NFL training camp and things like that. And I think that's what that's the same weekend that KJ Bolden is supposed to be taking his official visit to Georgia. Y'all, that's Kirby's job. Kirby's job is not to go cheese him with politicians. Kirby's job is to try to win, you know, another national championship. And so to me, the best thing you can do in that particular spot is do what you should be doing in June anyway, which is, you know, getting your team ready for an upcoming season, you know, getting your recruiting class ready for uh, the end of that, that's just the business here. That's what June's about for Georgia. And they're not going to take a break uh, from that for anyone, nor do I think they should have to. So that is my little bit of piece on that. Now, another piece of news that broke yesterday was the fact that Dominic Blaylock, who I would say is a beloved former Bulldog, and obviously a lot of people have a lot of intense feelings about the fact that Blaylock, you go back and look at his freshman season in 2019, promising start to that career. You know, everybody makes a big deal about George Pickens as a freshman in 2019, and they should. But in terms of freshman receivers making an impact, Blaylock was also kind of a part of that discussion back then, too. And obviously, Dom had been an unbelievable high school player there at Walton, but then it's like injuring the SEC championship, subsequent injuries after that. And all of a sudden, we probably never got to see the best of Dominic Blaylock in a Georgia uniform. It was announced yesterday that Blaylock, after having entered the transfer portal and really kind of been radio silent there for a, for a good while, announced he was going to go to Georgia Tech. And this leads to, I think, a very relevant question. As a Georgia fan, how do you feel about a beloved former dog going to play for the in-state rival? I think that I think there's some room for some different feelings on this, right? I think for me, ultimately, my own personal feeling, what I hope reflects the majority of Georgia fans is, is that the good vibes I have for Dominic are not diminished because he's going to go play for Georgia Tech. If this was a different era of the Georgia-Georgia Tech rivalry, I might feel differently. And I certainly felt differently, uh, What I guess, last year when Jermaine Burton left Georgia to go to Alabama. 
Alabama, in the eyes of Georgia fans then, which is far more relevant than Georgia Tech is, to be completely honest, and I'm not trying to be snarky, I'm not trying to be trollish, I'm just being honest. I don't think about Georgia Tech ever as a Georgia fan. I watched them play Georgia at the end of the season in November, but I'm not quite so sure I've watched any Georgia Tech game prior to that in any year in quite some time. They are just not on my college football radar, nor do I believe they should be on yours. So Dominic Blaylock going to Georgia Tech will be a fairly inconsequential thing for me until the end of the season when he plays uh, Georgia. But this is also one of those things that now in this transfer portal age in which we live, you probably got to get used to more former Georgia players playing against you, G, in some form or fashion, the same way that's been going on in professional sports for quite some time. Now, if you're a staunch traditionalist, the idea of going to play in the clean old-fashioned hate rivalry on the other side is a little bit of an odd thing, but it's not the first time that's happened either. We've seen former Georgia players play you know, for tech in the past. So, you know, this is not obviously the first time that's gone down and Brett Scyther obviously going to be doing that there too. But ultimately, I like Dominic Blaylock playing for a team that I don't like probably doesn't change the way that I feel about Blaylock because honestly, I don't care that much about tech right now. And it may seem like it's somewhat, uh, I don't know, hypocritical or inconsistent to say no big deal Blaylock playing for tech, but a huge deal Jermaine Burton going to play for an arch nemesis like Alabama. But honestly, it's just because the Crimson Tide are just more relevant in the eyes of uh, Georgia fans, or at least they were before they lost two regular season games a year ago. Uh, one final thing to get to here. Uh, obviously, this is not good news, but Denial and Morissette was arrested uh, yesterday, you know, kind of involving suspicion of DUI and things like this. And I think a lot of folks left to, to conclude, okay, what happens to Morissette on the heels of what has been, in the eyes of some, uh, you know, kind of a series of sort of negative headlines related to Georgia and, you know, uh, you know things like that. And, you know, listen, I think there's what's fair here and what's probably real here. And the thing that's fair to me anyway, and this is one of the points I wanted to make is, is that I think that Morissette or any player that maybe kind of finds himself, you know, facing an accusation, I think he deserves to be evaluated on the merits of his own situation. I really do. And I don't think that Denialand should be treated more harshly because so-and-so was accused of doing this or so-and-so was accused of doing that. I don't think that should have any bearing on the way that Morissette's evaluated. And I hope that he does get, you know, a fair shake on that. I believe that he probably will. But also there's the discussion about what's real for him or anybody else that, hey, you know, coaches are always weighing the headache you cause me compared to the talent you provide me. And you got to be careful if you're a player about being on the wrong side of that balance. So that's what's real. Uh, but what's fair in this case is I, I certainly hope that he's evaluated on the basis of his own situation and whatever needs to happen to him happens on the basis of just that alone and not some sort of connection to uh, what's kind of viewed as a series of events involving Georgia over the course of the last couple of months. So just kind of a quick thought on that. We'll make that around the doghouse here today. And before I get ready to bring on Mike Griffith, let me also do something that's really fun. One of my favorite things to do this time of year uh we call it our Kroger perfect moms giveaway we're giving uh moms you know sort of celebrating their perfection in our eyes because of the fact that Georgia just kind of wrapped up its perfect season and we've heard some great stories here we've had some great winners another great one today how about Brooke Kirby of Noonan Georgia Brooke congratulations on being our perfect mom winner today courtesy of Kroger great collection of gift cards coming your way on that about that nice picture there uh you see the Georgia G right there you see Miss Kirby right there too that's great to see nominated by her son Dustin Harper I want to read you this real quick. I think this is wonderful. So Dustin writes in, throughout my life, I've watched my mom at times struggle to make ends meet in an unfair and overpriced world we live in. I've also watched her struggle with health issues such as asthma, diabetes, and a weak immune system. But through all of that, she's provided, protected, and defended me. 
my sister and our spouses. We are grown adults, and she always says we are her babies. We love you, Mama. I love that story, and you know, I think we can all kind of cite examples of that. Of When we're kids, sometimes we have the, the, the gift of not realizing just how hard the world can sometimes be. Our parents shield us from that, and that's kind of what a parent's job is, to shield their kids from some of that kind of stuff. And it sounds like Miss Kirby here has done a great job of that. And certainly Dustin tells a great story about why she really is a perfect mom and a very deserving winner, courtesy of our friends at Kroger. That is so nice to be able to see. Uh, Dustin, I really appreciate you sharing that short story. Congratulations to Brooke Kirby from Noonan for being our Kroger Perfect Moms winner for today. And by the way, don't forget, for the perfect mom in your life, Sunday's the big day to celebrate. So go buy our friends at Kroger. Get stocked up on all you need, the flowers, the gift cards, the greeting cards. Maybe you're going to kind of cook your mom a meal, get the ingredients for that. You get all of that uh, right there at your local Kroger. Go to Kroger.com slash Mother's Day for more on that. Kroger.com slash Mother's Day for more on that. All right, we got a lot to do with Mike Griffith here, some stuff we'd planned to do, some of the new stuff that fell into our lap yesterday. Without further ado, let's get it going. Mike Griffith here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Breda Pest Management. From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. We'll bring in Mike Griffith here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Breda Pass Management here today. And, you know, Mike, we were talking about the Georgia White House thing there a moment ago. This is one of those things that probably delivers more juice as a headline than it does as an actual story. Um, I just think that Georgia was invited too late. I don't think there's anything that could be done about that on the Georgia side. Maybe there was nothing to, that could be done on the – white house side as far as inviting them any earlier but you know people are going to want to make this political i don't believe that it is i believe it's more procedural and i don't think kirby smart should have to apologize about doing what he needs to do for his team they've moved on from the previous season uh and i think it's just about as simple as that i don't believe it's a political thing i don't believe it's a polarized thing i think it is a logistics thing uh how about your take on the white house deal from yesterday yeah so so here's where my mind goes. Three things. Number one, everything's political, and there's no reason that Georgia needs to step into that mess, of, you know, because it, obviously there's a lot of division. And um, so, number one, it's 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 a political firebomb, and then there's no need to wait, you know, for Kirby to go either way. And at number two, 35 guys have been drafted that aren't even with the team anymore. Okay, so the guys that are going aren't even on the team. And number three. It always goes back to the old Kirby adage. I always tell you, Brandon, it's really Kirby is one of the easiest guys in the world to predict. Does this help Georgia win a championship? Check yes or no. The answer is no. So it's not worth the time and the effort. They're going to begin, uh, you know, summer workouts again June 1st. Um, I should probably just write this. But, hey, let's do it on Dog Nation Daily first because um, that's usually what we do. And uh, those are my three reasons why I'm personally glad they're not going because I think it would be a waste of time. The guys that won the title aren't here anymore, and um, Georgia doesn't need to get involved in politics. Yeah, so if a president invited me to go to the White House, I'd be eager to go no matter which party that was from because I just think that kind of thing is sort of cool. Going to the White House for me would be kind of a big deal. I'm assuming you probably feel the same way, but I don't think younger folks should necessarily have to apologize if they don't quite feel that way. I get the sense that some of them think stuff like this is corny. I get the sense that a lot of them would either rather, you know, just keep doing what they're doing or just have some time off as opposed to doing this. And even Mike in that sort of, you know, prior to this sort of hyper politicization, polarization we live in now, sometimes these White House visits can be controversial for different reasons. I remember there was an athlete a few years ago that kind of got chastised because she wore flip-flops and that there's this thought of, oh, you don't wear flip-flops at the White House. Like, there are a lot of landmines around stuff like this that aren't even related to, like, Republican versus Democrat politics. And 
to kind of piggyback off a point you're making, it would not surprise me if other college football coaches, because as hard as it might seem to, to imagine, one of these days maybe a team other than Georgia would win a national championship. And if Kirby has sort of set the precedent for not going to the White House, I think other coaches might actually kind of be glad about that. Well, you know, I actually went on a White House trip. Uh, when Tennessee won the national title, they booked it, but it was within like two months of winning the title. So all, all the players were still there. Um, their athletic director, Doug Dickey, actually booked the media uh, on the same plane, uh, chartered up in one day. Um, there was a media corps of about eight or ten people there that, so they could chronicle Tennessee, going to all the Washington, D.C. sites. They were, you know, brought everywhere, and, you know, everybody stood in line and, you know, shook hands and got their picture taken with Bill Clinton. So I'm sure there's a joke in there somewhere, by the way. But uh, that that did happen. But that was it was within you know it was within the time frame of them winning the title. It had to be like within a month. It was it was pretty immediate. Um, and, and in this case, like you mentioned, you know, just the, the way the scheduling is, it just you know it, it doesn't work out, and, and you know it doesn't fit you know Kirby's m- method of you know does it help Georgia win a championship? And um, you know maybe one day when Stetson Bennett's president. Um, Georgia will go. <laughs> Mike, is there a picture of you somewhere, like a la Forrest Gump, like drinking a bunch of Dr. Pepper there in the – I don't even know what the room that, that they have these uh, meetings is. If I if I looked hard enough, could I find a picture of you a la Forrest Gump there at the White House in the uh, Clinton era? Uh, there is a picture of me shaking Bill, Hins- Bill Clinton's hand somewhere. and uh, But I, like I said, I don't even know what to make of that. That was 1999, right after yeah. they beat Florida State. And one of the ugliest, uh, but historical, the first ever BCS game. And BA, usually you take the lead, but I want to ask you a question because I thought about this yesterday. Okay. okay. Post BCS question. All right. So when the odds came out about Georgia's over under win total at 11.5, which I want to get to with you before itself, we're done. Yeah. Yeah. In and of itself, I want to know what you think about that. A, but B, in your gambling methodology, psychology, do you take it into consideration that in order for someone to win that bet, that Georgia would win more than 11.5 games this season, that that would mean three consecutive undefeated regular seasons for Georgia? Do you take that into your odds consideration, one? And two, I don't even know if that's ever even been done in a regular season, certainly not post-BCS, right? Okay, so I don't, off the top of my head, know how long you have to go back to find three consecutive undefeated regular seasons. I don't quite know. The the consecutive win streak in college football is 47 games. And if Georgia had not lost to Alabama in the SEC Championship in 2021, they would actually have a chance to set the consecutive win streak here this season. So would have had a little bit of a chance at history as it stands now. They'll just have to wait a few more games to be able to do that. But to your overall point... It's sort of like playing roulette if you ever do that. You know, the fact that it came up black two times in a row should not impact your red-black bet here right now because if the if that was helpful information, the casino wouldn't give it to you, and yet they readily do on every roulette wheel. They'll tell you what the previous, you know, uh, rolls have kind of popped up as, spins have kind of popped up as. So, you know, to use a Kirby Smart coaching speak phrase here, seasons are independent of themselves. And so it doesn't make it more difficult to go uh, 12-0 and this year, the fact that Georgia's gone 12-0 and the last two years. Now, would I bet Georgia over 11.5? If I felt really strongly on Georgia – over 11 and a half I'd probably look for a different bet I'd look for Georgia to win the SEC at better odds or make the college football playoff at I guess slightly better odds although I'm sure Georgia's yes bet on the playoffs is actually 
you know, not exactly the most, you know, the biggest bargain in the world. So if I really like Georgia 12 and 0, I'm going to probably look for a different bet on Georgia. They're kind of begging you to take the under here on this. There are going to be a couple of teams every year that are 11 and a half. Alabama frequently has been 11 and a half. Ohio State's been 11 and a half before. So there's always going to be a couple of 11 and a halfs out there. But if you really like Georgia 12 and 0, then you should probably shop around for a different bet to make on them. Is that a sufficient answer to your question? That's a fantastic answer because I and I actually passed on that bet as well. But your explanation with the roulette wheel was outstanding. Uh, well, good to know. I want to get to more of some of that kind of stuff here coming up in uh, just a moment. Let me also mention some other news from yesterday before we get there, though. So I gave my opinion on Dominic Blaylock uh, before you join us. And, Mike, I'm going to try to do this from, from the perspective of a fan here. Blaylock is a fan favorite. Georgia Tech is obviously the in-state rival. But Tech hasn't, in my mind, been relevant in the minds of Georgia fans in quite some time. So Blaylock playing for Tech, I don't think, should change the way that most UGA fans feel about Dominic Blaylock. Now, there are some people who don't like transfer portal and they don't like the idea of a former UGA player playing against UGA. I can't probably say much about that for people who are just not willing to, you know, kind of yield on any of the loss of tradition but for people who've kind of somewhat made peace with the transfer portal, if you like Blaylock, if you wish him well post-injury, I don't think going to Tech ought to change the way you feel about that, but not every Georgia fan agrees. What do you think about that? Yeah, I don't think it should change the way they feel about Dominic Blaylock at all, especially since Georgia recruited over him and Dominic Lovick's going to play over him. I mean, are, are you mad at Georgia for that? Should, should the Blaylocks be mad at Georgia because they went out and got a transfer from Missouri that's going to play over him at that position? I don't think so. I think, oh, that's just business. Okay, well, you know, if Dom's going to come back another year, he's going to want to catch passes. And let's be real. There hasn't been a whole lot of opportunity. He hasn't been a three-down receiver at Georgia. He's lost that spot in the rotation um, for whatever reason. Um, And no one's bitter about it or angry. In fact, I I talked with his parents about all this a couple months ago. We were... They were reached out, and, you know, well, maybe, you know, Dom may want to do an interview and explain. And I said, yeah, well, if he wants to, that's fine. I mean, I... I didn't think it was going to be that big of a deal. I don't know that it is. I'm sure that the people that have an issue with it are probably a vocal minority. But this is a guy that gave his heart and soul uh, to the Georgia Bulldogs and did everything he could to come back. And I think he made some clutch catches this year. Uh, He did everything Kirby asked him. He left with blessings. And if Georgia Tech is the best situation for this young man, then you've got to wish him well. I mean, you know, are you mad at Dan Lanning that he's at Oregon right now? Are you, are you mad that the quarterback coach is at Georgia Tech? I mean, this is this is business, and this is uh, this is the new. This is just how it is now, and um, so no, I don't I don't have any issue, and I really don't think any Georgia fan should either. I also think, and I know you're kind of a fan of Brent Key. I also think that what could be interesting yeah. for Georgia Tech here in terms of how do you make more Georgia fans sit up, notice, pay attention to you? How do you do that? Like, to me, there's a certain pathway here that could become interesting. I don't just mean, like, taking transfers off the Georgia roster. I mean the fact that Blaylock was an outstanding high school player at Walton High School, one of the power programs here in the Atlanta area. Blaylock was really something to watch in high school. And, you know, there's this huge category of very successful Atlanta area high school players that Georgia oftentimes doesn't really get a chance to recruit because you can only recruit so many players, and Georgia's obviously trying to find the best players it can, which means sometimes national recruiting, which means oftentimes there's a – talented player in Georgia that maybe doesn't get a lot of attention from UGA and previously you know they haven't really been on tech's radar either but you know Paul Johnson didn't recruit at all Jeff Collins didn't succeed at recruiting 
And so one of the things I do think could be a little bit interesting to see is if the presence of a guy like Brent Key, who certainly has a coaching background that suggests that he may be a little bit better recruited than what Tech kind of had in the past, you know, can you be more involved with really talented player from a place like Walton High School or somewhere else in the Atlanta area? You know, can you be a little bit more of a factor in in-state recruiting and kind of keep the, the Tennessees, the South Carolinas, the Clemsons, the Auburns, those out-of-state schools who want to get into the Atlanta area, can you kind of elbow some of them out? You know, that's one of the things I think could be interesting for the future of the Georgia-Georgia Tech rivalry, the extent this rivalry does have a future, is whether or not Tech can kind of plant a flag in the Atlanta area for players like Walton High School and places like that that haven't often gone to Georgia Tech. You know, if they could sort of become a little bit more interesting to, to, to schools like that, then then maybe Tech has a chance to be a little bit more relevant in the future than they've been in the past. Well, obviously, if Dominic Blaylock does well, that doesn't hurt. But let's face it, they just, you know, show me the money. You know, if, you, if they want to play ball and, and beat, you know, Tennessee and Clemson and Georgia for recruits, they're going to have to pay them more money. Yeah, I mean, maybe it's that simple. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, you, wrote about this, <laughs> uh, you wrote about this the other day at dognation.com when it comes to – we talked a minute ago about uh, Georgia's over-under total for the upcoming season, some of those early point spreads that are out there. Uh, what else from the sort of season win total stuff, you know, kind of jumps out at you? Because – I see a team that I think might be a little too low. I see at least one or two teams that might be a little too high. Do you want to jump in on that? Give me a team who's over under total, either for the good or the bad, kind of jumps out at you. I think Alabama ten and a half too high. They won ten games and they had the best player in the country last season, with the best player in the country on offense and arguably, if not the best player in the country defensively. I, I still make the case for Jalen Carter, the second best player in the country. And, uh, you know, some stability. So now, you know, Nick Saban is throwing up the deck of cards on his staff again, and we're going to see where they land with a new offensive coordinator, a new defensive coordinator. We still don't know who the quarterback coach is. Yes, they play LSU at home in Tuscaloosa, but, you know, they also open with Texas. I, I think 10 and a half is too high I, for Alabama. I, I, I just, you know, I, I looked at the last few years of Bear Bryant's career, and, um, you know, are we seeing that with Saban? Kind of, is kind of what goes through my mind. Let me jump on that. Uh, let me jump on that for a second, then we'll get uh, somebody else you want to mention because I want to make a, a point here about this. Because a minute ago you asked about carryover from season to season. Let me tell you, Mike, one of the things that I do believe carries over. That's your propensity for winning close games. Close games one year have a tendency to turn into losses the next year, and vice versa also works true. If you're losing a lot of games close, then maybe you get some luck on your side uh, the following season. Here's what a lot of people, Mike, I do not believe have fully appreciate about Alabama. Not only have they lost more than we're used to seeing them lose, they lost twice in the regular season a year ago. Mike, a lot of their wins have just kind of come from that sort of one-score variety, much closer games, much more close wins, wins in which you know Alabama had to make a play late to win, things like that. They're doing that with a lot more frequency than they used to, where it used to be very common to see Alabama winning SEC games, 14, 17, 21 points, 24 points, 27 points. Uh, frankly, in, in recent years, Alabama, you know, think about the Florida game, think about the Texas A&M game. A lot of their wins are kind of coming very, very late in very, very close games. And over the course of the long haul, it's hard to sustain that. So if you want to make an underplay on Alabama at 10.5, I don't think that's a bad situation at all, given the fact that they lost twice in the SEC a year ago, some of their wins came close. And by the way, they have an opponent like Texas as a big non-conference game there as well. There are a lot of opportunities for losses on this Alabama schedule. They're not going to lose them all. I'm not going to try to say they're going to completely fall off the map. 
But if you need them to lose twice, it's not hard to find opportunities for a couple of them. I totally agree, and that's that's why I just uh, and and I guess the fact that you know Alabama is still favored over LSU, and LSU is the team that with the stable quarterback yeah. situation. I guess I think I saw where Bama's a seven and a half point favorite to win at home against LSU. I, I, we'll see. I, 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 to me, uh, that's one I'm going to keep an eye on. I think I would take LSU in seven and a half right now. I'm not sure about LSU's nine and a half win total BA just because of that Florida State opener, and I'm just not sure which way that door swings. I, I think Auburn at six and a half uh, struck me as low when I looked at their non-conference schedule. Yeah. They look like they have four very winnable games. I think their road trip to Cal is probably the most challenging just because it's on the road. But I think they play both the Mississippi teams at home this year. And um, and so I think I'm, even though I'm not like necessarily bullish on Hugh Freeze, the schedule is such that I think that uh, you know Auburn's going to get uh, seven wins. A and M at seven and a half. Um, I I'm kind of on board that it, it just has to work. It just has to work. And if not, it will be the most epic uh, failure of a coaching hire of the BCS era. The amount of money and resources sunk into Jimbo Fisher, and if he can't win with Bobby Petrino. Um, you know, the lights are going out in College Station for a while. I like South Carolina over six and a half. I, I, th- I think that's kind of interesting. And by comparison, you know, this was a situation where Tennessee beat South Carolina in two years ago in both coaches' first year. South Carolina beat them a year ago. You got Tennessee at nine and a half. You got South Carolina at six and a half. I think it's fairly easy to talk me into at least considering a Tennessee under nine and a half. Road game in Alabama. They got Texas A&M from the West. Obviously, Georgia. Um, I think I think you could at least consider the idea of a Tennessee under there. And when you look at what South Carolina accomplished last season, in comparison to a team like Tennessee, I think South Carolina at six and a half, which is what you have there at DogNation.com, I think it's fairly easy to find some value there on the Gamecocks. Tough game against Clemson, tough game against Georgia. You know, can you find a way to win, you know, uh, seven of the other ten of those games. Well, if you know, go go seven and three in your other ten. Well, if you do, you're cashing an over ticket right there in the Gamecocks. Yeah, the only thing that brings pause is the Spencer Rattler. Is you know, if if he goes south, if he gets injured, you know, I just I don't know what they have back other than Rattler. As I recall, I didn't feel very good about their line playing. I'm not sure what their infrastructure looks like other than Spencer Rattler returning. I know that's a Vogue pick, and certainly I think Shane Beamer has exceeded expectations these first two years, but I'm not I'm not expecting a repeat win over Clemson or Tennessee, certainly not uh, Georgia. Um, the Florida, you know, Florida at five and a half is another intriguing one. As, as much as the knee-jerk reaction is to say could take the over, I could think I could see things going really, really bad for Billy Napier fast as he tries to. Sometimes when coaches come in and try to change the culture, they can try to do too much too fast. And you know, I, I think about how you know Jeremy Pruitt won eight games in a row at Tennessee at one point, and then when he lost to Georgia in that whole second half that went wrong for Tennessee, and the way that you know Coach Pruitt reacted and the team responded was so bad, it was like the, the slide started and they never recovered. And I don't know that. Florida is going to be able to recover without Anthony Richardson. And I know he's not your number one quarterback, two or three for that matter, but I think you would acknowledge that he very significant to their what what chances for success they may have had this year. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I mean, obviously, I talk about this kind of stuff all day long. I love this kind of thing. So I'll just instead invite people to read your story there at dognation.com on this. I know there will be plenty more of this 
in the weeks to come. Mike, we certainly appreciate your time uh, here today. And as I said before, you got a lot of great stuff up there on the website, so we appreciate all of that. We'll uh, look forward to getting a chance to talk to you soon. All right. Thanks, Brian. Good stuff. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. Yeah, I want to kind of give my own thoughts on some of this here in a moment. I, as I said before, I just love this kind of thing. You know, there was a time, if you, had a, you want to go back really not that long ago, just a few years ago, that you probably didn't get any point spreads on any games. Now, you got over-unders fairly early, but you didn't get any point spreads on any games almost July. That's back like, you know, go back years ago, like the Golden Nugget used to kind of put their thing out there. That was like always the Las Vegas sports book that kind of got out there first. And then you had this situation where Circa and some of those books out there started trying to jump the line in terms of you know releasing some of those early look ahead lines. And now you've got sports wagering legal in 37 states, as Alabama's baseball coach can tell you, and a former baseball coach, I guess, as it were. Uh, and so now you've got all, all these online, essentially app-based sports books, and now they're just racing to get a lot of these lines out there. The, you know, the overall numbers are fairly similar to what they always were. They're just coming out sooner uh, than they used to. And so we've had a lot of these point spreads for a lot of these games since February, March. I mean, we've had, we've had a lot of these uh, lines there for quite some time. So it kind of makes the offseason fun because you have some sort of numeric projection to have your conversation around. And even if you're the kind of person that doesn't you know, care about gambling, I would still say that the majority of our audience doesn't care very much about gambling just based on some of my you know, kind of, in some cases, assumptions, and in some cases, sort of investigation of this, there are still far more college ball fans that don't care about gambling than do. Even if you don't care about gambling, to have some sort of, like, numerical projection, it just kind of puts some parameters around a conversation, which I think is probably a good thing. So I'm going to talk a little, a little bit more about this coming up in just a moment. Prior to that, though, let's talk about cruising around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. When I was talking to Mike a moment ago, I mentioned roulette, roulette wheels, things like that. It reminds me that, you know, in all these great Royal Caribbean cruise ships, one of the things you have kind of as, as the heart of the entertainment hub there uh, is the Casino Royale. And it's always kind of fun for me. So you go to dinner and, you know, you have a nice dinner and then you step out from dinner and maybe you go to a show here for a little bit and then, you know, when the show's done, you're not quite ready to go to bed and you sort of spill out over to uh, Casino Royale and you can, you know, you play roulette if you want to, you can play craps, you can play blackjack, you can do all that kind of stuff. And it's just kind of one of those fun nights that a cruise ship provides. And that's one of the things that to me is so great about a Royal Caribbean cruise vacation is the level of entertainment that it provides because honestly, I... There's almost nothing like that for me on land where, as I've said before, you know, one night my wife and I were, were on a cruise together, and when our dinner was done, we kind of sort of bounced around from spot to spot. We counted like eight different places where live music was going on uh, at the same time. You could kind of go from here to here to here to here. I mean, that's a great night out. It's the kind of thing that you get basically every night on a Royal Caribbean cruise vacation. You can do it during the day, too, if you want to. Uh, whatever you kind of want to do there on that. So I can't recommend it enough, especially as we head towards the summer. My family's so excited about a little short cruise getaway we're going to be able to take here coming up uh, you know, before the uh, summer's all said and done. And you can get just as excited about your own Royal Caribbean cruise vacation. And our friends at Royal Caribbean believe that a great Royal Caribbean cruise made even better by a terrific travel agent, Jessica Slater, is the one specially selected for us by Royal Caribbean, recommended to us. She helped us with the Dog Nation cruise. She has helped me with my personal cruise travel, and you can trust her there for what you got going on there as well. So give her a call, 770-718-9147. That's 770-718-9147. She can get you booked up on a Royal Caribbean cruise vacation today. All right, so as we're cruising on the SEC, let me just kind of stay on the subject of these over-unders for a moment. So as I told Mike, Alabama at 10.5, I do think that could be ripe for an underplay. 
And some of this is personnel related. Obviously, the Bama quarterback situation is concerning. Uh, Jalen Milrow, Ty Simpson, we saw them both underwhelmed during the spring game. And listen, there is just no like savior walking through that door. You know, Tyler Buckner is the guy that comes in from Notre Dame. But y'all, some of y'all follow college football close enough to know this. Had Buckner stayed in South Bend, there's a very good chance he would have been the third string quarterback at Notre Dame. Sam Hartman was obviously going to be the starter. It was not obvious that Buckner was going to be the backup, even though he had played in the bowl game. And, you know, yeah, I guess he won MVP of the bowl game. He still threw two picks in the game. He threw almost as many interceptions as touchdowns when he played last season. Uh, so, so it, you know, it's not like, you know, he's, you know, the next great thing necessarily. He may be capable. And obviously, Tommy Reese, the new offensive coordinator in Alabama, knows him well. But I think that Alabama under 10.5 is at least worth a consideration. I'm not holding a ticket for it in my hand right now, but it's at least worth a consideration. They have won far more close games than you realize the last couple of years. And it is not easy to keep up that trend. If you're not blowing, if you're not blowing teams out, if you're not winning your games by double-digit points, it is very hard to assume that that success is going to translate year over year. And Alabama is going to still be a pretty big favorite against Texas Week 2. We talked about Texas off the top of the show. You can laugh about Urban Meyer saying you're more talented, about, uh, more talented than, than Georgia, but be careful laughing about Texas just in general. I think Quinn Ewers at 20-1 to 1 to win the Heisman, it's worth a look. I think it is worth a look. Um, Texas to pull an upset maybe at Tuscaloosa, worth a look there as well. If that could happen week two. You tell me Alabama can't lose an SEC game? Of course it could. I think I think it gets pretty interesting pretty fast. LSU 9.5, I would go over on that. I've talked up LSU enough uh, this year that, that, uh, that I just – I mean, I, to me, I'm just over LSU on nine and a half. Tennessee, nine and a half. You know, this is one of those things. I mean, obviously, these numbers are set with a purpose. Nine and a half feels about right to me. You know, somewhere in that nine and three, ten and two type range. Uh, the big swing game for Tennessee is probably Texas A&M. It's a home game for Tennessee. Um, it's a home game for Tennessee. But as Mike was kind of talking about a moment ago, y'all, there's also a chance that Texas A&M is just a little bit better this year. And I realize I've got zero credibility on this. You know, a lot of our audience, especially our live video audience, they hold my feet to the fire on this because I called Texas A&M to have big improvement a couple of years, and it just didn't really occur. Other than the pandemic, you know, Texas A&M, one of those sort of pandemic teams that, hey, when nobody's playing defense, when everything was weird, A&M found a way to be in the top five. Uh, but in other years, in sort of normalcy times, they've had a hard time maintaining that level of success. You can't help but notice that. So A&M with Bobby Petrino as offensive coordinator could be a little bit better. And if so, that becomes a tough game for Tennessee. The other thing to pay attention to on Tennessee, if you're looking at them going over their total, they have a lot of point spreads that are just not very big. And much the same way I said Alabama has a hard time maintaining a series of kind of close wins, when a lot of your wins are projected to be close, be careful about kind of counting them before you actually have them in your hand. Be very careful about that. I'll give you a classic example. Florida's a team we don't think is very good, but Tennessee has to go to Florida, and that is not a huge point spread in favor of Tennessee there in that spot. That's a game that that right now the sports books don't necessarily think is going to be easy. And ESPN, FPI, if you take that seriously at all, maybe you shouldn't, but if you take it very seriously at all, ESPN, FPI thinks the Florida can win that game. So, that's the thing you got to be careful for when it comes to Tennessee is some of their games are actually projected to be a little closer than Vols fans maybe realize, which makes it a little bit hard to sort of call yourself a, a guaranteed 10-2, and 11-1 type team when you're not exactly you know expected to blow out a lot of the teams that you're playing. And then I'll quickly, uh, as I mentioned before, you know I don't know why South Carolina by perception should be considered to be way worse than 
than, than Tennessee. I just don't. Now, you, they got they got beat by Georgia 48-7. But listen, how many wins last year did Tennessee have better than the one that uh, – uh, South Carolina had against Clemson. You know, Tennessee beat Alabama, but, you know, it, for large stretches of that game, that did not seem like the outcome that's going to take place. So I don't really quite know why the perception gap between South Carolina and Tennessee is as wide as it is. I don't necessarily think it should be. Uh, and then beyond that, you know, I kind of agree with Mike. I think Auburn over six and a half is probably worth a look. Easy non-conference schedule. You still got the difficulty of the SEC West, but I think that's probably worth a look. I think Vanderbilt at three and a half is worth a look. This, team won, this is a team that won two SEC games a year ago. Um, I, I think I think the Vanderbilt over three and a half, I would get a I would give very serious serious consideration to that again. Uh, you better believe that I would. All of this coming from Mike's story there at DogNation.com. Anything else from that I want to mention? Um, where is Ole Miss? So Ole Miss is seven and a half. They're in the top twenty of the ESPN FPI. Uh, but they play you know, pretty tough schedule overall when you think about everything in the SEC West. Same number as Arkansas, Sam Pittman. Y'all know I love Pittman. This is the year in which Coach Pittman needs to find some wins. He probably does, and that's just the reality of coaching in the SEC. Beloved figure, kind of a local boy makes good. He probably needs to find some wins. He probably needs to go over that 7.5 uh, this year there in Fayetteville. We will make that cruising around the sec courtesy of royal caribbean before we wrap up today's show let me also give a little bit of a shout out here to our friends at the finish long drink you know the weather is warm we're like we're kind of in that sort of transition spring to summer now some of for some of you summer comes a little too fast but nonetheless it's that time of year where we're outside our pool in our neighborhood is actually open now so we're basically in summer vibe now and the finish long drink goes great with summer in my opinion so if you've never tried it before this time of year is the best time of year for you to try go to the longdrink.com you can look at the four different varieties you even get one of those eight can variety packs like you see there on the screen for those of you watching on video which includes two different cans of each of the four finished long drink varieties four times two is eight that's how you get to eight uh even i can do that math but the point is try it it's delicious the cranberry the long drink strong eight and a half percent alcohol by volume long drink zero that's no carbs no sugar Long drink traditional in the blue can. Got the grapefruit flavor, the gin kick. The honest truth is the long drink traditional is actually my favorite. I just think it's kind of the classic version of the finished long drink. I like the kind of, you know, uh, I guess sort of gin and grapefruit type mix there on that. I just think that kind of just goes really well together. So whichever version you think you might like, you ought to try it. You ought to try them all maybe even. Thelongdrink.com for a lot more on that. So one of the things I always like is when folks in our audience kind of know what I'm going to like. And one of our great commenters, you hear us talk about Christy sometimes from YouTube. So on uh, Twitter, she put out a very funny thing. And I had this shared with me multiple times. Our buddy Army Dog Charlie shared this with me. Uh, Our buddy Georgia on tap shared this with me. Christy, very, very funny here, uh, laughing about this meme. It's things that were popular in the 90s that are now useless. So you see one of those Kodak like disposable cameras, although I, th- I think those have kind of come back a little bit. I think a lot of retro stuff is cool, and uh, I think the disposable cameras may actually kind of be back a little bit. But nonetheless, you get the Kodak camera there. You got the, what do you call that, a disc, I guess? That's not a floppy disc, though, right? It's like a, like, like a disc for a computer. I haven't seen those in a while. You got like a transistor radio type thing there. 
and also the lousy stinking gators. Also something popular in the 90s, which is useless today. Christy, very funny. And to uh, Charlie and George on tap who shared that, thanks for doing so. Golden shoes all around there on that. Well-deserved indeed. And by the way, speaking of those lousy stinking gators, about 171 days from right now, Georgia beaten up on Florida again. Uh, Vegas thinks they'll lose six times this year. One of those, we believe will come at the hands of the Georgia Bulldogs. You have a great day. We will see you tomorrow. Dog Nation Daily, presented by Breda Pest Management.